Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this fine young gentleman I just casually gave a shiv to is Scott Bailey. Hey man, don't you worry. I won't kill anyone with this. I'll just stab them in the butt repeatedly. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of 10 or 12 mistakes, heroic prison shankings, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we continue breaking and talk about chapters 14.10 and 14.11. Victoria gives Amy her desired 15 minutes of fame, and Amy just proves she's just another milkshake duck. Then, Victoria and her friend stage an impromptu prison riot. Matt, what'd you think of these two chapters? I, I don't get that reference for one thing. Um, I you don't know what a milkshake duck is. I don't. Um, I, I, it means that anyone that gets attention eventually turns out to be terrible. Okay. Okay. There's, there's like, look, this duck's drinking a milkshake. I it see. Turns out the duck is racist. Oh, That's I got the gotcha. whole thing. I got gotcha. you. God, know your memes, Matt. I know. This is really disappointing. I'm, I'm you pretty, can't, you can't make content online and not know your memes. I'm pretty disappointed in myself, honestly. Yeah. Uh, as far as the chapters go, I thought these were. Uh, fantastic. I love that. Uh, and we're going to talk about it in some detail, obviously, the the way that Wabo chose to kind of bend what you might have expected that the Amy conversation by including dot in it. I thought that was a fantastic choice. Um, mm-hmm. All of the all the aftermath of what has happened to Victoria is is handled extremely interestingly and well. And we'll have, we'll have a ton to talk about there. And uh, I mean, th- this is a, this is a really interesting arc. I feel like this arc has has twisted and turned in a lot of different ways relative to a typical arc. Yeah, I mean, th- I think there's some things, some assumptions we made at the end of the last chapter that turned out not as accurate as we thought. Um, in interesting ways, in ways that I don't think paint Amy in a good light, but not as like like horribly like monstrously devious as we maybe thought. You know, perhaps maybe like ninety nine percent is horrible. Yeah, like I, 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 yeah, I don't, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, actually, Amy's good. Right. No, no, that's not what I meant. But just like the 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 level of scheming we assumed with the the what the interpretation behind the five dots on the screen, um, the the guess at what was going on in the intervening time while she was ah. passed out, um, seemed to not be as yeah. Well, something uh, definitely happened though. Well, yeah. of course, yeah. I mean, we can. I think maybe we could talk about this here because post uh, the recording, um, uh, Wild Bo actually made an edit to the chapter. Right? That that, yeah. was, that was after we did the recording. He changed. It was, yeah. He changed the five dots to be not just five white dots, but uh, I, I believe it was two white, two red, one white. Is that right? It's the opposite. Something like, the opposite. Yeah, the opposite. Three. Two red, two white, one red. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, Scott. <laughs> um, and the the symbolic meaning 
therefore being a bit clearer and, and indicating like Amy laying her hands on Victoria and, and in other words, touching her, doing something to her with her power while she's asleep. So something something happened, something with Amy's power happened while Victoria was asleep. But five successive brain rewrites is not the thing that happened. Yeah, it's not the the safe scumming, I think is what you called it yeah, last week. Yeah. It's not that. But yeah, I mean, I, I do like how the book like structurally like lands on the importance of this moment, this moment where where she reached out and used her power on her um, is this huge, impactful moment in the story. And the book like Pauses, nails yeah. that it, it, it shows that not just via words, but the, the structure of the book. And this is this has happened multiple times throughout the story. And I liked it. Um, so, yeah, that's important to bring up. And I, I think not only that, I think this chapter makes it very clear that the amount of time that has gone by is not sufficient enough time to do like we did this whole conversation five times. And yeah, um, it's true. So. True, true, true. All right. Anyway, let's move on into these chapters, Scott. Let's do it. So we got 14.10. And uh, I guess I wanted to open this one up talking about the fact that, you know, we don't actually talk much about where Wildbo chooses to break chapters, you know, where he chooses to end them. It's kind mm-hmm. of a casualty of the fact that we're covering the story in the level of detail that we are. We don't we don't step back from it very often and talk about the the, the where and why he breaks things apart and 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 how the chapters string together to make an arc. Um, so I just thought I'd for a second kind of step back from this and talk about like very briefly just say 14.8 began with the team starting to settle into the prison and then it ended with the team being attacked and injured and then just just beginning to deal with their injuries 14.9 picked up with the team looking for medical care and then ended with victoria being cornered by amy and more or less forced into a conversation after having been um probably healed by her and then Mm -hmm. 14.10 is the beginning of this 15 minutes of conversation that victoria had agreed to yeah, I like that. I think it's a good point, and I think maybe that should be something we try to pay more attention to going forward. We kind of get lost in the weeds sometimes that we don't zoom out and look at the overall structure rather than the minute sentence-based or paragraph-based structure. I think that's a good point. Yeah. Um, and that actually – sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say you know, another another reason why I wanted to to draw it out is to – I guess talk about the the fact that I'm I always feel like satisfied with the chapter length and like en- enough always happens in a chapter you know it's never just like the chapter begins with us thinking x is going to happen the chapter ends with x happening it's always yeah. like the the chapter does something interesting and then moves on to the next thing and then you're interested to see what the next thing is going to be and the next thing is going to be the next chapter yeah so anyway, yeah, it's yeah. interesting because like I've always wondered about chapter construction in books, you know, mm-hmm. like when does an author say, OK, here's a moment in which we break and move to a new chapter. And in serials, it's a little bit different, right? Because you're literally deciding, OK, when am I going to be done for today? Right. <laughs> like it's not just when am I going to break and move on to the next chapter? It's when am I going to say, OK, all done. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I think I think maybe sometimes there's more pressure in a, in a serialized format because like it's not just I'm going to break and go to something new. It's this is all I'm giving them for now. So it matters much more in that than, than a, a chapter break might matter in a regularly published novel. Um, mm hmm. Yeah, makes and sense. so I think it is it is worth it is worth thinking about and, and looking into for sure. Cool. One of the other things that I think is a casualty uh, since we're talking about casualties of the way we do the show now, um, something we failed to do last week as we kind of really, really 
dove into the weeds and the details of the Amy Victoria conversation is kind of step back and broadly talk about what what this means for the story going forward. Right. What 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 Amy being willing to do what she did, Amy being the person that still will do that um, means for this relationship and this conflict going forward in the story. And I think that's important because I think from the beginning, when I learned that Victoria was the protagonist and it, and it seemed like her main struggle in the story was going to circle around Amy, of course, um, I thought I had a fairly clear idea of what the story was going to do. Victoria was defined from the drop as this person who struggled with moving on from the past that haunts her. Um, and she's in put in this setting in, in Earth Gimel and this, the, the entire world is struggling to do that same thing. Her road to resolution of conflict lies through Amy um, in one way or another. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's a great starting place. And, and and while I never thought it would lead to reconciliation, per se, I did think that part of Victoria's growth in this regard is was going to maybe be this this recognition that perhaps Amy is not that person that she has convinced herself to be that, that while what she did was terrible, it was monstrous, um, that, that she is not this person that she says to, to Jessica in the first, first arc, I think like you need someone to watch her because she is one of the greatest threats to this world right now. I think even you and I, when that scene came, we were like, really Victoria, mm -hmm. like the greatest, like we kind of laugh that off. Right. And, and now what's happened is Victoria ha has basically been proven right about everything to do with Amy. She's basically been proving, proven right. Every, every fear she had about this interaction and what it would lead to and what would happen is right now. And I think that shifts the story a little bit. It shifts what I thought the story was going to be a little bit. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, you know, for, I think the majority of this book, I've definitely been on this kick of, of like forgiveness is great. And the thing is, I actually think forgiveness is great. And yeah. I've said many times, it's not about, like Amy sh or you know Victoria should forgive Amy because Amy deserves to be forgiven. No, it's it's that it, it's 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 healthy to forgive the person who wronged you because then you can move on from it. And things in the recent chapters have really kind of put a tremendous amount of pressure on my <laughs> um, on my conviction in that regard. You know, and, yeah. and, and the book has given us plenty of examples, like with the Capricorn brothers, where you do actually get to see that almost magical, you know, healing power of forgiveness where yeah. maybe, maybe Tristan doesn't deserve to be forgiven, but Byron forgave him anyway. And, and now they're getting along really well. And, and, and it, it seems like they might, they might, like, yeah, sorry. They might even be like mending a lot of the, the things that came between them before. Um, but this is like, I, I think you're right that the story no longer to me seems to be going in the direction that I had assumed that it was, which I, which is, which I guess is really good because you you never really want a story to just follow the rails that you kind of, you know, you kind of see like, oh, yeah, I see where this is going. Right. Yeah. Well, and I like it. I like it. Like it's different from what a lot of stories of these kinds do. I, this idea that. Like we're, we talk about forgiveness and we talk about how hard forgiveness is when someone has wronged you. And it is. It's one of the hardest things to do in the world. Um, but I, I agree with you that it's ultimately healthy for you to get to that point. It has nothing to do with that person. But what if the person is just as bad? Like, it's very easy to say, oh, I understand now that 
she did this horrible thing, but actually I was blowing it out of, not blowing that act out of proportion, but I had, I had created an image of her that actually, look, she is trying to help and she is being good and she is trying to get better. And, and I can't see past that. And that's why I need to forgive her so I can learn to see past that. What if the story is just, no, actually she's just as bad as I thought she was. I, I was a hundred percent right now how do you forgive that person? Because that's 10 times harder. That's that. And, and that is a really interesting idea for me is like, sometimes the road to recovery, the, the, the person that wronged you isn't actually secretly an understandable good person that let's like, Oh, okay. I get it now. You there's extenuating circumstances and you're trying to move on. You're trying to be better. I get that. No, sometimes they're just a piece of shit. And how do you recover from the piece of shit? It's like, yeah. I mean, it requires a weird kind of like free will breaking framing where you basically have to say, well, the extenuating circumstance is that they're just a bad person and, <laughs> right. and they can't help that, <laughs> Right. Which, which doesn't really like, is that for, is that forgiveness then? Or are you just kind of playing a little bit of sleight of hand and you still yeah. actually hate them, you know? Yeah. It's a good question. And I don't know but, the answer, but that is, I, I think we can both agree that is, it's that that is the way the story feels like it's going now. And I'm not saying that is the only direction the story can go from here. That just seems like the, the most apparent one to me. I think I think this ha- the story has an opportunity to go in a bunch of different directions other than the one we thought it was going now. And that's why I am inherently fascinated by what we're doing now, because yeah. it's like it's like, oh, we're not doing this. We're doing something different. And what does that mean? What does that mean for Victoria? What does that mean for Amy? What's going to happen now? I, d- I don't I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. We're not tick- we're not ticking the usual archetype boxes anymore, Matt. Right. I mean, it's not like this story was what I would call predictable, but I feel like no. it has sort of I have become unseated from where I thought things were going and where I thought we were taking this protagonist in particular. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So basically they proceed to have their 15 minute conversation. And, you know, this is one of those long conversations lots of lots of ins and outs off the bat the text emphasizes that victoria is basically riding this adrenaline high throughout this whole encounter or maybe adrenaline low would be a better phrasing she hears her own heartbeat everything seems too loud she's hypersensitive to the sensations of her own body she has trouble keeping her voice even like for the whole conversation it's just this incredibly unpleasant experience and the text does not flinch away from describing that yeah, and she's she's getting in some good digs, right? I think Victoria handles this conversation pretty masterfully. Um, she certainly manipulates and orients uh, Amy into the exact position she wanted her to be in. Not that it, it has much effect, but she she accomplishes her goals in the conversation, kind of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that's not that's not to say that at any point she's doing well. She's putting up a really good face because she feels like this panic attack that she's feeling like this, this stress, the shaking, uh, the almost completely losing her shit, um, would be seen as a weakness and a, and weakness is not going to help her in this situation. So, and I, and I love from the exact first line of this chapter, we set that up. Amy walks in the room, Victoria jumps. And the first thing she says is I hated myself for doing it. So, yeah, I mean, it's very easy to like read the lines of dialogue that Victoria is saying and how she's being especially barbed and like, clever and be like oh man she's doing great she's not she's not doing great um she's just hiding it very well yeah yeah and uh, you know later on in the conversation she'll actually basically say that say as much to amy like i'm right you know yeah so as soon as amy comes back into the room we see pretty much the same dynamic that will continue to dominate the conversation which is that 
Amy tells her that she doesn't need to flinch when she sees her. And then <laughs> and then Victoria responds with like a hostile kind of conversational jockeying born of genuine terror, but but it's but but doing it in an aggressive way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I really like this motif of the early part of the chapters. This I thought you read my emotions and understood line that Victoria gives her. And she she repeats this over and over again. And this this is she indicates Victoria does that this is kind of a trap that Amy has caught herself in because it's it's basically a perfect representative of Amy's central problem, right? She said she read her emotions and understood where Vicky is coming from. And she used that as a tool to attempt to endear herself to Victoria. It's like, I I read your emotions. I'm sorry. I did that. Uh, Sorry. Let me take out the part where she says, I'm sorry, because she definitely doesn't use that. that. Did not happen. Um, I I read your emotions um, and I understand why you hate me now. And, and it's a tool. It's a method of her to like, to like say, look, I get it now. But it's clear from this conversation that that's not actually true, right? That that's like, like she and and Victoria says she's kind of boxed herself in a corner because she said it's true, and so she, she has to keep going back to it because that's true, and it's it's she's she's forced herself to rely on that in a similar way that the I'll handle it thing is being relied on. But just like I'll handle it, um, I get it seems to be just as bullshit. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, she 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 gets it. I think the thing about Amy is Amy. Uh, like Taylor was a was a good like junior varsity high school compartmentalizer, but Amy is a gold medalist compartmentalizer. <laughs> um, like like she because I think that when it's convenient for the sake of the conversation for her to understand in what rough shape Vicky is doing, she does, mm-hmm. and then she manages to forget it immediately because it's uncomfortable. Yeah, just immediately a, yeah. forgets it and all of its consequences. It's only yeah, you're right. It's only it, it's only useful information when it will help serve her goal. And then it becomes not useful information. And instead of just like acknowledging that and being like, oh, I can't use this here. She just you're right. She just kind of like doesn't remember. <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's, yeah. it's not important. Gosh, it's not important yeah. how you're doing. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's only it, important it, it, that you material. Yeah. It's only important that you know that I know how you're doing. Exactly. Just like it's only important for me to save the world if you know about it. <laughs> right. So I, I was struck by, it, it is minor, I think, but I was struck by this kind of contrast where Victoria hears Amy say, um, she, she hears Amy say, Amy says something and Victoria thinks, I heard our mother in, in what Amy said, uh, in what, in Amy's comment about communication specifically. And then in the next paragraph, she thinks of Amy as her ex sister again. Yeah, and, and I, I guess I, I it registered with me because it's almost a contradiction because it's it's our mother which which admits to that connection being there, but then it's ex sister, so it's like a, it's like she's almost trying to like push away the connection she just made. Yeah, I, I think it's an it's a, I'm so glad you pulled this out because I really like this as well. It, it kind of shows where Victoria is willing to draw the line at their connection and where they where she isn't. Carol is such an interesting complicated member of victoria's family that like being like yeah carol is definitely amy's mom (laughs) but definitely not my sister yeah that that type of that type of difference and i I think it's really great and i and this this moment here where we're talking about communication right i think this is fascinating to me because victoria basically lays out the rules of the next 15 minutes i'm either going to be honest with you and i'm going to be nasty or i'm going to be civil 
and I'm going to lie to you. Mm-hmm. You get to choose, Amy. You choose. And of course, of course, Amy chooses civil and deceptive. Yeah. Right. Because she's convinced that, that that line with enough communication, we can get past anything. And she, of course, means we as in humanity. But she, she says that to cover herself. She means she means the two of them. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I think is so fascinating about this is the I think the book generally supports the idea that communication is key to work through something. I think the book agrees with that sentiment. I think Victoria agrees with that sentiment. And and because Victoria agrees with that sentiment, the book agrees with it as well. And I think maybe that's why we see the our mother there, because that's a that's that's a, a thing that Victoria will probably agree with. She agree. She one of the big goals she had earlier in the book was more communication, communicate more openly with people. It'll help solve our problems. But this isn't communication like Amy has just dictated the terms of the communication and it's not real civility over honesty um, shows that Amy is not interested in the truth here. She's not interested in Victoria's honest opinion. She just wants her to be nice to her. And then through the magic of them talking back and forth, she'll just be over it, I guess, Um, which shows that she doesn't care what Victoria has to say. This is not this is not communication. This is let me explain my side of it. And my side is so convincing that no matter what you have to say, you will get it. Yeah. And and I think there's also it's almost a kind of trap that she's either consciously or unconsciously set where the conversation ends with her basically saying, I should have known you wouldn't be fair. And I almost read that as Amy did know that this conversation wasn't going to end up in her favor. Yeah. There's there's no way that like I've called her dumb before, but I, I don't think she's dumb enough to have thought that she was going to explain herself and Victoria was going to say, oh my God, I've been wrong this whole time. Like it, it was, it was basically a way for her to, in her own mind, say, look, I explained everything perfectly reasonably. And if Victoria is still mad at me, it's because she's just being unfair. And, huh. and now I can be mad at her. Huh. With- yeah, I like that. I, halfway through that sentence, I was about to tell you I disagree with you. And then you kind of swooped back on, mm-hmm. back around on it. And yeah, I think I agree with that. I think I think maybe there's a part of her that did that did think that if I explain myself, she'll get it. But I do agree that there's another part of her that knows fully that that was never in the cards. And now she gets to be the victim because because Victoria is being the unreasonable one. Right. Yeah. Like like she gets to be the victim either way. Right. If Victoria refuses to hear her out, Victoria is being unreasonable for not listening. If Victoria hears her out and still thinks she's a monster, then Victoria is being unfair to her. And either way, Amy gets to feel right and and understand that it's it's actually it's Victoria who's wrong. Yeah. Um, And I get the feeling like I don't think that's something she consciously has done. You know, like I don't see Victoria. Like I think Victoria is Amy is is kind of a manipulative person, but I don't think she's doing it consciously. No, because this is one of those ego protective automatic things. Like Mm -hmm. like there's no point in doing a maneuver like that if you're aware that you're doing it, because then you would just be like, oh, no, I like she's she's. I mean, I don't know, to get down the rabbit hole of like psychology, but like I think that this is the the kind of thing that you do to protect your own ego. You basically find a story that's acceptable to your ego. And the story that's acceptable to Amy's ego is that Victoria is unreasonable and unfair. And that that actually wraps everything up very nicely for her, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Cool. 
So after some back and forth that is mostly about Amy trying to manage Victoria's emotions and Victoria pushing back on this, Victoria finally settles her attention on Dot. She then strikes up a dialogue with Dot. And so on, on a writing level, I think this is brilliant. This is a brilliant narrative choice because it livens up the, the dynamic between these two sisters, which uh, is by design prone to falling into ruts. Um, that, that's just where the dynamic is, right? It's a realistic dynamic, but you can only really read so much of, of this like tr- trench warfare between the two of them before you want to punch the screen. So, <laughs> so it's a clever thing. It's a clever thing for Wildbo to do, and it's a clever thing for Victoria to do in story um, because, like, she she might also recognize, like, that that Amy is prone to this conversational bob and weave technique, which is anathema to actually, like, moving the conversation forward or, or like, making any actual points. And Dot is actually guileless, at least in social matters. And so Victoria can make her points to Dot, <laughs> and then Dot will actually understand them if they're simple, and then she can kind of dodge around Amy's defenses that way. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those moments where as I as I saw it happening, as I was reading, I got giddy because I, I realized what was happening here and how Dot was being used. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is so smart. This is so brilliant. Good job, Victoria. Good job, Wildbo. Yeah. Like, this is great. Um, and, and Dot is this perfect. You're absolutely right. She's like this. This She's she's like very like amoral. In in and and in a, in a very kind of childish kind of way, right? right? Like you said, she's 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 immature, she's unworldly, and so like all the bullshit that that Amy coats everything she's saying with don't mean anything yeah. to Dot. So it, none of it works, right? And it it's just it's just so effective at at tearing down the the maze of of shit that victoria has or that that amy has thrown in front of victoria during this whole conversation yeah Um, and understandably uh amy gets furious about it eventually yeah yeah well it's more than furious too i mean there's moments where like amy is genuinely affected by it Mm -hmm. because i think while also dot serves as a perfect way to to color what amy's doing and and take down all this this shit it does also expose, I think, to Amy some some stuff about herself that that maybe she hadn't realized. Of course, I fully believe that Amy has the the ability to just take all that and just take it out and just move it and put it in a little box over here. Yeah, just gonna throw that in the ocean and just move on. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are moments here where Amy's like, "Oh shit!" Like the way Dot said that. Damn. Yeah, it's 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 completely unvarnished, and I can't help but just see it the way. Right. The way this like very neutral sort of observer sees it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, Scott, Dot is red and gold. <gasps> that was great. <laughs> How'd you do that? <laughs> um, I, just br- I just breathed in. Okay. Well, <laughs> so I, I mean, this is by far the most detailed description of Dot that we've gotten so far, I think, including her stylish new pinafore dress. Yeah. And, and I think once again, like this, like from a structural perspective of how how you approach the scene as a writer, I think this is brilliant because when you're looking at this scene, you have three people in here. You have Victoria, you have Amy, you have Dot and your readers are emotionally connected to Victoria because she's the point of view character. Your readers are pretty disgusted with Amy at this point. 
And for the most part, we like Dot, right? Like yeah. we we enjoyed Dot on her interlude. It was a very like it, it was a very fun kind of adventurous interlude. And she's a cute little thing. So we like Dot, right? But Dot is also fiercely loyal to Amy and we don't we don't like her. Yeah. So we're kind of forced to be like, okay, this is a little confusing. Yeah. So how how does a writer take that situation? That situation where we have these three characters with this complicated relationship between them and kind of draw lines amongst them in a way that gets their point across clearly. Um and the answer to that question, of course, is fashion. <laughs> And I, I think this is really brilliant, though, because Victoria points out Dot's amazing outfit and says she's totally pulling it off and she's not lying. She is actually pulling it off. So there's our connection. There's where we take this character that we like, but we're confused about and connect them back to Victoria through that fashion. But then Wildboat does something here that that I think is even better because Dot thanks her and then says, Amy made it. Uh So this line that we've drawn between Dot and Victoria, this like this appreciation of fashion that we know is an important part of Victoria's character. Now we've complicated that because now Amy's the one that made it. Amy's the one that made this beautiful dress that you just compliment. You just complimented. So now it's like, oh, crap. Like you, you don't know how to feel. And I think that's how we get into this into this this moment where you're like, you just don't. You just don't know how to feel about Dot. You don't know how to feel about Dot's relationship to Victoria, relationship to Amy, about this whole complicated thing. And we use the tool of, of fashion to get to get to that emotional action. And I I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. Isn't her thought when she realizes Amy made it is just the word uncomfortable? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which is which is great because it's it's uncomfortable is not really a specific emotion so much as, as an expression of just like. I don't know. I don't know what to do with this feeling that I have right now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is perfect. So um, just as an aside, I think it's interesting and actually kind of useful that Victoria doesn't really know much about Nilbog, like useful on a meta level in in, in that, like if she knew more about Nilbog, she might be more worried. Um, But uh, anyway, her finding out that Dot is a Nilbog creature is not really creating the reaction that we might have expected. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it also serves to remind us that even for Cape nerd extraordinaire Victoria, there's still a limit to what she knows, right? She's very limited by what information is available. And so she just doesn't know about Nobog. Yeah, yeah. Very much. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring out this exchange to talk about Dot is speaking. Yes, she has so much power, could do anything she want if she use it, but she she won't. She's still trying to be something she isn't, gentle and human. She needs to be queen instead. It's not that easy, Amy said. You can claim a kingdom. You have power, Dot told her. You're halfway there. We've had this discussion a lot, Amy told me. That doesn't reassure me, I thought. A little voice in Amy's ear saying queen, kingdom, queen, kingdom for weeks now. (laughs) I just... I love this. I just love that this is an element in the story that that dot is an element in the story and and this little literal shoulder demon. Um, yeah. But but like you said, more amoral than evil, right? Like yeah, just pushing her to do what makes sense to her, but not because she wants you know, like the dot's own dot's own motivations are quite understandable and and even easy to empathize with. So yeah, they're just they're just simplistic and um, like you can't ascribe her to our concept of morality. Yeah. She's just like this different creature. And it, it is, 
It's so good. Like, I love she's still trying to be something she isn't gentle and human. Like yeah. Dot basically just said here, Amy, you're not really human. Yeah. Come right. on. Come on. Yeah. And uh, like, I, I think I think that the, the great thing is here is, is we've established then that Dot kind of agrees with Victoria's view of Amy. Right. Like she's basically saying that, like, you're kind of a monster. Yeah. But the difference is Dot is like, you should do that, though. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> and and yeah. And again, we've kind of we've kind of defined this interaction between. So now Victoria and and Dot are both coming to Amy from a similar direction. They both see her as the same thing. It's just whether what what, what one wants to do with that and what one wants to celebrate, you know, like, yeah. I think that's great. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's stuff like stuff like this. You know, uh, my queen says so. But Hunter was gloomy and blah before. She's exciting now. She laughed more after. It's just so wonderfully like horror movie creeper, yeah. creepy and, and disturbing. Like because you, you it, it's one of those things where, again, you sort of involuntarily imagine the the situation of like, oh, my God, what did she do? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And she's I mean, again, she's kind of like a kid. So like while it's definitely disturbing and you're like, oh, Jesus, dot like chill out. Um you can't like really be like, oh, I hate her now. Right. Yeah. Like it just it's not it doesn't read that kind of way. It's just like it doesn't she doesn't understand. She's right. a little no bog monster. Yeah. Yeah. She's she just she cares about her family and she likes bright colors. And that's and and interesting things and interesting looking things. Yeah. So Vicky continues to use dot as a conversational crowbar to make the points that she wants to register with Amy, except <laughs> she's good. making them. To Dot, this intelligent but unworldly creature, in very simple and basically undeniable terms, depriving Amy of the opportunity to do her bob and weave because even Dot can understand the simplicity of her points. She emphasizes that the real problem here is that Amy is spiraling out. Uh, although she doesn't use those words, she uses words that uh, that Dot can relate to um, and basically emphasizes that, that Amy doesn't trust herself and that this is dangerous. What I love about this whole part of the conversation is that while all this is happening, while Victoria is like putting this grand plan to call Amy out through Dot, Dot is like moving around. Uh -huh. She's like doing handstands and like like bar splits right. and like straddle straddling the bar. And it's like, I mean, again, this really emphasizes the childish nature of her. Right. It's like you're trying to have a like sit down, and have a very serious conversation with a kid. And they're just so fidgety that they're just walking around doing random stuff, really only half paying attention. Right. Um, it's such an effective device at getting across like this central thing that we've been talking about with dot like this, this childish un unworldly type of person that and again amy has, has has refracted so many of the events bending them around her own perception of who she is and 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 what what she has control of and what doesn't but childish handstand dot just sees them for what they are just like this is this is what happened like yeah. why would i wh why does why would dot need to distort or or sh like shade or um change perspective on what happened it's like no this is what this is this is what happened yeah and right and I think the most, like we hinted to before, the most important moment in all this for me was when Dot mentions what Amy did to Victoria. Um, and she said, she says what you did to you. You sounded beautiful and noble. And that being said to me somehow seemed to slap Amy across the face more than my calling her a cunt earlier. Um, and it kind of slapped me across the face, too. 
And this this beautiful line at the end of this where Amy's like, you're not helping, Dot. Not trying to help. Am saying, I think you thought it beautiful and noble, too, or you wouldn't have done it. That's amazing. Like that, like like just the, the frank honesty coming from this creature to just like lay Amy's problems bare with nothing to hide behind, nothing there, but just the just like. A, a, a childish, simple view on the horrible things that she did. Like, if you didn't want to do that, why'd you do it? Like, I think you you must have wanted to do that, right? Or else, what? Yeah, it's certainly an interesting take on it because I it's not it's not something that I've really thought about too hard. Like, I, I just kind of took Amy's statement at face value that, like, oh yeah, um, you know, I I was I kind of panicked and I was trying to fix the mistake that I'd made, so I just kept making more and more body parts to try to get it right. Um and uh and, and then I like got stopped midway through and then I couldn't finish and that's how it happened. And 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 like it's an interesting take to to think like Amy kind of wanted it to end up that way somehow or or, or her power did, which again is kind of the same thing. Yeah, I, and I don't, I don't want to go like too far into Dot is literally correct. Yeah, right? I, I agree. Literally, like, like you wanted it to be this way, but just from like, if you, if you're just like, if you're looking at a situation with a kid, and you're like, I did this thing, but I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Then the kid's response is, Well, you must have. Well, then why'd you do it? Yeah. Like if you didn't want to do it, why'd you do it? Right. And it's like they just don't understand the nuances and complexities and and frankly bullshit that we sometimes shade our actions yeah. with to make them seem understandable. Exactly. Um, I, and I think that's that's wonderful. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I hope I'm not the only person who burst out laughing at the following exchange. <laughs> Victoria speaking, but she did it without asking. I wasn't her subject. Hunter wasn't her subject. She made mistakes with how many others? Three or four, Amy said. Ten, twelve, Dot said. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. I love this. I love this device. Because Amy, and, and it really emphasizes like when, you know, a, a few a few chapters ago, a few episodes ago, when when it was just them, you know, Victoria and Amy going back and forth in the greenhouse patio room like Victoria's kind of pointing out like Amy's Amy's full of shit here. She's like anchoring on to different phrases and going back yeah. to them and like but now we have this third party who's literally there to be like just just correcting her bullshit in real time and it's yeah. so satisfying and, and delightful and and also disturbing because you realize like oh Amy's been doing this kind of thing all along. It's only now that we have dot basically stepping to the fore and providing like a, an objective perspective on things. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, you know, we talked we talked about point of view and how point of view can color experiences and the lenses with which we view situations can color that dot is here confirming that we're not dealing with protagonist or with with uh, with with bias here. We're yeah. not dealing with narrator bias because dot is laying the stuff out exactly in the way we thought it was. Oh, yeah. No, I just like a couple just had a couple accents, a couple coloring out the side of the lines. And as soon as I realized it was happening, I stopped. As soon as I did it, I stopped. And then Dot is here to say, well, um, it's 12. And how does, how does 12 become three or four? Well, it becomes three or four for when you assign arbitrary definitions to what coloring outside the line is. It's like, oh, well that doesn't count as coloring yeah. outside the line because that was blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. I, I fixed them and thus they, yeah. they weren't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, Amy. I, yeah. So, yeah, Dot then relates some of Amy's specific particular fuck-ups to her. 
uh, how she had to call the snark for help. Um, and I think it's delightful because Dot clearly enjoys like what she's describing, these yeah. these horrific Cronenberg things that, that Amy has made. And it really Dot's enjoyment of it really helps emphasize how terrible it is. Right. Like this kind of giddy, like monstrous, like, yeah, it was great. Yeah. All this. I, I had so much fun with it. Um, there was a bunch of holes in that person's head and they were bleeding blood out of all the brain holes. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's awful, but it's so well done. Yeah. What what I what I found really interesting about this is we get so much more information on what Amy has been doing. It's not just healing people. It's not just fixing powers. It's not just trying to help those in need. She's taken odd jobs. This old man wanted to be young again. And of course, everything is justified, right? Uh, he, he he had a lot of political willpower that he could have helped with. He was offering a lot of money and a lot of political goodwill if she does this for, for her. And, and that would help Gimmel. So of course, she's going to take this odd job, um, except it goes wrong. And and Matt, if if, if doing the job right would help the political situation on Gimmel, then certainly doing the job wrong would hurt that political situation. Right. Right. Um, that's kind of the unspoken bit that comes here. Yeah. And I wonder like this, this made me wonder, like we have this guy who is obviously very politically influential that she just fucked up, uh, his, his procedure made him changed his face too much, leaned on the art side of it a little too much, as she said, uh, and he's mad at her now and he's obviously very an influential person. So I'm wondering, like, beyond just the basic Kate biases, how much were the political uh, parties in this world already like deeply concerned about Amy before all this stuff? And then Gary Nieves like exposes this thing publicly and every one of them jumps on it because they're like, we've actually been really worried about this for now. And here's a perfect reason to 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 execute on it yeah yeah maybe um it, it, it's it, it would be it would be a neat um kind of explanation for why things have evolved the way they have yeah i wouldn't mm-hmm. I, I guess i i'll say i wouldn't be surprised to find out later on that that was actually um kind of a linchpin of, of why things unfolded the way they did or 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 it could just be a, a relatively minor thing like she lost she lost them one of the supporters they had and that was like yeah. one more chink in the in the armor or whatever Right. Right. So. so in this moment, Matt, when she's like desperately like trying to fix this guy, like she's trying to fix his ears and like loses, like stops paying attention and just starts like making holes in his head to the point where like Dot says, like, I had to tell her she was doing it before she noticed. Right. It's like, hey, uh, uh, queen. Right. <laughs> and then she she can't she needs help. So she calls Chris in. And of course, Chris Snark won't help directly but he will talk her through it. And this is the part that I, I, I loved this in particular because Dot says he sat with and talked her through it. So she was able to fix this guy. Chris calmed her down and talked her through it. And then we said he sat with for the next few two. Mm-hmm. So remember when, when Amy was giving her excuses to Victoria, she said, yeah, I colored outside the lines a couple times. The second I recognized it was a problem, I backed off. I stopped doing it. And look, that's that's me acknowledging there's a problem. That's me acknowledging when I'm losing control. Now we know that there are at least 12 of these people. Now we know that after she punched a bunch of holes in this person's head and needed to call in Chris just to talk her down. Um, she did a few more, not just one, not just two, a few more after that. Uh-huh. And it's just like all of, 
all of this, all of Victoria or Amy's excuses just are, are crumbling down. Right. She says she was tired. She hasn't slept. I zoned out. I was like, well, why didn't after that you say, OK, I got to stop. I got to stop. And it seems like the only thing that's happened, the only moment in which Amy finally stopped, if she did at all, was after what happened to Hunter. It, it, it took until I definitely maybe did something that was irreversible for him for her to go. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, so, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I think she definitely hasn't stopped because she just did something to Victoria again. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's, you know, dark, <laughs> darkly funny, I guess, just that, that to to kind of nail her to the wall here and see her squirm um because yeah i mean because she gets madder and madder and more frustrated the more of these kind of uh the more balloons of of you know deception that dot pops she gets angrier and angrier um and um especially toward the end of the conversation when victoria admits that she's basically been intentionally wasting their 15 minutes by talking to dot instead of talking to her Amy snaps and she's like, fuck off, Vicky, which is just a crowning achievement uh, for her. Yeah. I, I, Victoria gets a little enjoyment out of this moment, right? Yeah. Like, like I told you I was going to deceive you at the beginning of the conversation. You chose civil and, and, and deception. So, yeah, this is what you got. It's your fault. I yeah. love it. Yeah. And you know, I'm being civil to Dot, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> it continues. Stop. She shouted, wheeling on me. She wasn't at the far end of the room now. She was in the center. I was on the bed in the corner, all tension. But that was the crack. Cracks, though, were unpredictable. They traced along weak points and forked and terminated early. It was hard to predict the route they'd take. So I waited, tense, not breathing. Um, so I love the writing there because we're yeah. talking about, I mean, we're about to be talking about the the cracks in, I don't know, space-time that are being created by the portals that teacher is going to be taking advantage of this idea of cracks, tracing weak points, forking and terminating early, behaving unpredictably. You know, I mean, I think it's very interesting. The teacher seems very confident that he's got this all in hand. And yet we have, you know, that that's one thing that you can definitely say about cracks in any medium is that just because you set a situation up to break a certain way, doesn't mean it's always going to. Um, yeah. And, uh, uh- that's what's also happening with Amy in the scene, of course. I agree. I think one thing these books have always done very well is connect the the personal conflict with the overarching conflict. And that I think that is absolutely what's happening here is we are getting we are getting the the ground laid for teachers plan to go awry in predictably unpredictable ways. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really great. It's, it's also like I think this is f- like Victoria has been kind of steering and controlling this conversation um, to to get to this point, right? This was her goal. She was trying to get cracks in Amy. But then there's this moment where it's like, oh God, I don't like what she's going to do w- when she breaks is unpredictable. Like we, I don't, we don't know where this is going to go. And, and later in the conversation, she specifically says for the first time, I couldn't even recognize her enough to say what she was going to do, what she was thinking, mm-hmm. where she was going to go. Like, like the, the Amy that Victoria knew or thought she knew is different from this Amy. Um, and, and her actions and her reactions to this whole thing are unpredictable. And that's terrifying. That's terrifying in this moment. That's terrifying in the long term as well. Um, she's standing at the center of the room. I love the geography notes there that like, like 
before the conversation where each were on their side and kind of in the corners and like trying to be as far away from each other as possible. And now Amy has stepped up and gone into the center and, and Victoria's forced back into the corner, like showing that she's lost control of the power of the conversation. I think it's just great. It's just great writing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Victoria kind of can't help herself, you know, like you said, she's, she's, it's, it's sort of self-defensive. She's either going to be deceptive or she's going to be hostile. Right. And she can't choose option three, which is like, don't aggravate the extremely dangerous person. (laughs) Right. She can't. Yeah. Even though like, even though you, if you probably, if you said it to her in a calm way, like you think maybe it would be, it would be best to just get out of this conversation in a way where Amy is not super pissed off because she's super dangerous, Victoria might admit that you're right, but but she's so like dramatized and, and writing adrenaline right now that I think she really does basically if yeah. She doesn't have a choice. Yeah. I, like yeah. it's well, she does have a choice, but those are the choices. I, I, yeah. I think she says as much as like, if you're gonna force me into this conversation, if you're going to hold me here against my will, force me to have this talk with you then this is how it's going to be like, and I can't, sorry, can't help it. Right. Yeah. I guess I'm just, I'm just thinking about like the idea of like the quote unquote rational protagonist where like they always make the right choice. And it's like, well, that's so boring because (laughs) like, like I've certainly been in this situation basically where you're, you're, you're so mad that like subjectively from the inside, you don't, the, the option of being mature and grown up about things is not available to you. Yep. Um, in that moment, e- even though like a, a more uh, circumspect version of you might recognize like, hey, yeah, could have handled that better. Um, yeah, I mean, you yeah. could say you could you could sit here from, yeah. you know, your your lazy boy and be like, no, Victoria should have handled right. this conversation in a more calm, uh, collected, rational way. Yeah. And and I'd be like, yeah, OK, you, you do that. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> like th- there's no way there's just no way. And that's I mean, that's what you get. Amy, when you force a conversation with a person who's not ready for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yep. So um, they get into a bit of a back and forth t- toward the end of the exchange here about the idea that Amy wants all the good that she's done to be, quote unquote, considered beside the unconscionable deeds. And Victoria tells her it's not a ledger. Um, and like, you can't just like if, if she had just chosen to forget what Amy did, like Amy offered, that would just make her more beholden to what happened than remembering it and being motivated by it. Yeah. And Amy manages to not understand this at all, this, despite the conversation kind of continuing past this point and Victoria trying to explain it in different ways. Amy just doesn't grasp it. Like this is one part of the conversation where Victoria is actually engaging with her and trying to explain it to her in, in a way where it's like, look, it's, it's not that complicated. I'm just going to explain like why I like what you're, what you're, what you expect of me is impossible. And in, in fact, Amy leaves on the assertion that it would have been best if one of them hadn't survived the end of the world. So it's like the least, least successful possible attempt to actually communicate. Yeah. I mean, and I think this is for me, like the most interesting exchange in this whole chapter, because I think Victoria and Amy here basically lay out their mission statements for recovery, right? Amy is very much Hakuna Matata, right? Put the past behind you, move on. Uh, just, you just go, you just get through the bad stuff and you move on and you, and you're better and you are, that's not the person Victoria is. Victoria is, has been established in the book from almost the very beginning. 
she doesn't believe in forgive and forget. She thinks experiences are uh, the, the bad shit that happens to you is intrinsically important to who you are. She says Rain will always be an ex fallen. Ashley will always be an ex slaughterhouse nine. Victoria will always be the wretch. But there's also an unspoken bit here that Victoria will always be glory girl, right? She'll always be that person who did those terrible things. Yeah. Um, and she says, and you need to remember and dwell in the ugly shit, because if you don't, you just end up right back in it. How do you change if you don't tackle it heads on head on? And I think I think the book kind of like obviously very clearly favors Victoria's strategy of these two. Right. Like Amy's Amy's Hakuna Matata strategy not working. She's not changing. She's not growing. She's not getting better. So uh, clearly not the way to go. And I think you could probably sit here and be like, oh, I wonder if uh, Dr. Darnall would like hear Victoria say you have to dwell in the ugly shit. It's the only way to move past it um, and go like, Ugh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but but I mean, laying out these two strategies, I think Victoria's is the one that the book clearly supports. And and I think it's supported by the fact that Victoria has made progress, has changed over the course of the story. She's ha- was doing better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I want to be very careful with my um, statements that don't make Amy seem bad, Um, (laughs) but, but, but it's actually kind of understandable why she would think that her strategy works because she went away for what, a couple of years. Right. Mm -hmm. And by her own account, like, things were kind of better for her or at least yeah. like became more stable for her when she was in the birdcage. And if you are, if you are her and you're prone to reading things in a certain way, then you would say like, yeah, like I just needed to get away from, from all these things and, and put them behind me. I, I, I put everything behind me and then I was better. And now I get back and now, you know, Victoria's back in my life and everything gets worse again. It's Victoria's fault. When I think more the reality of what happened is, she put herself, she ran away from all the things that were wrong in her life. Mm-hmm. They stayed exactly as they were, um, still wrong and, and fucky. And they were right there waiting when she came back because she hadn't dealt with them at all. And, yep. the, and, and yep. so it's a matter of moving the blame from, oh, Victoria's back in my life, fucking everything up to seems like I haven't sorted out my shit and I should probably address that. And, and the, the running away was just a stalling tactic. Yeah, but that, I completely agree with th- that. But she doesn't see it that way, obviously. You got to go back to Pride Rock, Simba. That's right. I just compared Amy to Simba. That's bad. <laughs> it's never mind. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I, this part at the end is really fascinating to me. This that that moment is like I think it would have been better had one of us not survived, right? Um, and that is to me, Amy resigned to no recovery, right? Like Amy is basically here declaring like as long as you exist or I and I exist, I will never be okay. I will never get better. I will never uh, I will never get over my stuff. I will never feel like I've got a handle on my life. I will never not like and that's that's a rejection of change of wanting to get better of wanting to do anything like this this idea of it's 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 mutually exclusive like we can't both exist in a world in which we get better it's that's amy just declaring that right and that's it's a a disturbing place to leave the conversation um because who knows what she's going to do next right Right. (laughs) yeah this conversation leaves no one feeling better no um so after yeah so after amy leaves um 
we should talk before we move on from that. I think we should at least mention the fact that at the very, very end of the conversation, Victoria is like, hey, you agreed um, to do do all these things for me if I talked to you. And Amy's just like, nah. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. Sorry. Right. Later. <laughs> yeah, right. Because cool. because Victoria is being unfair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Not at all surprised. Nope. Yep. So after Amy leaves, Victoria is then manhandled back to her team and she immediately asks for Sveta. Tristan and Vista see how, you know, completely out of sorts she is. But the only answer that she'll really give them as to what happened is... Master Stranger Protocols. And I mean, the fact is she doesn't really know what Amy did, if anything. So, yeah. So she can't really tell them. Um, but I think it's a good, you know, it's a wise sort of proactive step. Um, and also before the chapter ends, we learn that apparently the wardens went ahead with their attack on teacher and uh, probably failed pretty horribly. Yeah. They, they need more people for the second wave because the first wave has not reported in, yeah, which, which is always good news. Yeah. That's, that's, that was a horror moment for me where I was like, Oh God, <laughs> no, don't send a second wave. Jesus. No, that's yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. I do think that the, the roughest and most powerfully written part of the book uh, or this chapter at least is the events after Victoria has left Amy has left the conversation. Like you're right. Like she, Throughout all all of it, she had been pretty clever. She had been manipulative um, in in the ways in which she was trying to get Amy to the place where where she could expose those cracks. And I think during the course of it, you kind of forget that thing that we established at the very beginning, which is that she's like shaking uncontrollably, like barely in control of her voice because she seems at times to be handling it so well. And then like, as soon as Amy walks out of the room, it's just like, it all comes in, right? Her feet are numb because she was gripping her legs so tightly. Um, her, her hands are uncontrollably shaking. She gets back to the group and she's like, where's Sveta? I need Sveta now. Like she, she needs to go immediately to her friend and just, and just like talk to her and like get through this. Like I can't imagine what's going through the minds of breakthrough as this like completely wrecked, uncontrollably shaking Victoria is standing right in front of them. And they're like, Oh yeah, by the way, uh, more bad news. Yeah. Right. I mean, j- just the stuff where like, again, like you said, the text isn't particularly focusing on, on certain things. And then you have stuff like Vic- Vista saying like, you, you look like you've seen a ghost or something like where she's completely, you know, pale and and basically having an adrenaline reaction right like yeah like and uh, uh yeah I, I agree like it, it it hammers home how terrible this is that this has happened how victoria is definitely not okay and yet we're now putting her into yet another situation where she has to handle things and uh well, well let's just move on into it actually 14.11 all right so Victoria goes and she, and she has a conversation with Sveta in her holding cell. Uh, so before we jump into the chapter proper, Matt, uh, there's a moment here that I wanted to highlight for like setup potential because we've been shown once again here at the very beginning part of this chapter that the damage done to Sveta by the knife is not reacting like a normal injury would, right? Like yeah. we, we get this moment where like, uh, her arm had been bandaged where it had been cut, but even there, the way the blood had soaked into the bandaging suggested a wound more like a piece had been taken out of her, shaped like something between a cross between a jigsaw piece and a lightning bolt. So, yeah, we, I just get the feeling we're like setting up something to do with how Sveta's body handles injuries, which is something that happens to capes rather often. Um, and, and this could be set up to some issues that she's going to have 
with her body as she continues to fight. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. I mean, she went from being very durable uh, and and someone who could almost just ignore when something would happen, like losing piece of her tentacle to someone who is now when they get injured, it's somehow even worse than if, if they were a normal person. So, yeah, yep, it could yep. be a, uh, basically, yeah, uh, of course, of course, we knew that the, um, you know, the, 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 the orchard cure was not a cure. It was going to have it was going to be something weird and twisted. Um, and so far it's been mostly positive for her, but this seems like a, an inkling that things might not be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So as they have this conversation, they're forced to dance around the things that they want to talk about and they turn <laughs> their whole conversation into a kind of performance for whoever might be listening, choosing to reminisce yeah. about their time in the asylum with a heavy focus on the str- struggles that parahumans have to deal with and the times when they're able to overcome them. And we're treated to a few small vignettes of terrible, strange power situations. For example, Earl, who makes an incredibly loud noise at all times. Keely, who re- regresses in age when she uses her time manipulation power and was thus physically a toddler when Victoria knew her. Uh, a uh, chain-smoking toddler. And a Tinker Jack, to replace his body parts with augments and then fell behind the curve on maintaining them. So... Just a yeah, bunch of good stuff in there. I mean, I love this whole conversation. I love the double speak that the that coded Kenzie guess. Like yeah. it's a it's it's a Kenzie guess. Um, I almost wish that the text didn't have to like explicitly spell that out for us because uh-huh. the second I heard Kenzie guess, I was like, oh, she knows. That's not a guess. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I just the way they speak around things when they're talking about like a uh, family and like there's so much loaded information behind that uh, family that I, I I love so much. It's like we know we know exactly what they're doing and how much that means. Um, but I really especially like the, this reminiscing about the other capes they knew at the hospital. Like, first of all, it's a moment of just like they say it's all for like it's all for show, but it's also just a moment of like when you're two people and you've just been through some shit and you're tired and you're scared and you just don't want to focus on the now. So you just go back and you reminisce a little bit. Like, remember those people we knew and you have these these conversations about things that happened. Like I I do it with college friends all the time. Right. You get together people and you just start telling stories like this is kind of what happens. Yeah. Right. And I think. I, I'm really struck by like how mixed and and kind of terrible some of these stories are. Like we we learn that Keely eventually gets out and, and finds work at a call center, which is good. I guess she's doing OK. Earl gets into a bad relationship with a power eater and then eventually moves to live like in the middle of nowhere by himself um, because no one else can stand it. Does he hear the noise that he emits, too? Because damn, that- I- I would guess I would, not just because normally the powers protect the, the user. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I do wonder if he can hear. I mean, I'm just going to guess that the way powers work, it would be like Gru's power where he can actually hear everything fine, uh, mm-hmm. but no one else can. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, Jacked, on the other hand, the tinker you were talking about dies. Uh, like he can't catch up to the, the he can never catch up to everything he replaced with his tinker tech and eventually passes away. And this got me thinking about this idea of recovery that we've been talking about throughout this whole book. And I'm sure Victoria and Sveta would love to look at their time in the hospital and see that everyone that has graduated is getting better, is finding permanent solutions to their problems, that 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 permanent solution thing that, that Victoria's kind of latched onto here, and living a happy, normal life, right? I'm sure that would, it would be wonderful if we could if we could really relay that information to each other while we're reminiscing. But that's not in the cards. 
and it makes me think about that idea of recovery. Like it is very much, this book is very much talking about, um, about how one gets to a place where one gets better. And I think through scenes like this, through characters like Amy, we see that even though this is, this was, this is what this book is about. It doesn't mean recovery is a given, right? It doesn't mean even if you do the right things, even if you try as hard as you can and are working towards it, it doesn't mean you're going to cross that finish line. Like some, sometimes, sometimes things just don't work out. Right. And it's depressing, but like sometimes the solution is just to move into the middle of nowhere and and that's your permanent solution. And I'm very interested in that as like an idea in this book that like, that like the potential that some of our members of breakthrough could never get to that place that they're wanting to get to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and also I think that we've also talked about the idea that the place that they want to get to is literally impossible. Like, you know, talking about Sveta wanting to, to be that girl in the painting. It's like, well, you, mm-hmm. you're, you're definitely not going to be able to, to, to regress back in time and become the, the, the person who you lost. You're not going to get back the past that you lost. You don't get to go back in time and start over, you know, and, and go back to your last save and, and redo everything. You're, you're stuck with, with your situation now. So like, I mean, I, I think the Earl example, the, 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 the noise, the noisemaker cape is a really rewarding one to just think about because his, his power is one where if he's someone who likes living in the woods by himself, that could be fine. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. like, but most people aren't actually, most people aren't okay with that kind of life. And yeah, I mean, especially lonely, especially like if you assume his power is, is generated from some sort of trauma yeah, and it's going to fuck him over in a specific way. Right. Like he could, like, I want everyone to hear me. Right. <laughs> and that's, and his shard goes, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, in, in which case being, being resigned to live in the middle of the woods by yourself, um, would be not a great outcome. Yeah. I, I think I thought it was interesting that like Sveta's response to hearing that is kind of like, good for him. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, maybe like, I mean, he's found, he's found a way to exist, right? Like mm-hmm. he's found a way to live. Um, it's not ideal. And maybe that's, I mean, maybe that's the end, like maybe that's what recovery is at the end of the day, mm-hmm. right? It's finding a way to live. Um, yeah. And it's not going to, it's not going to be the ideal. You're not going to get all the neat permanent solutions that Victoria wants. Uh, you're not going to get the neat permanent solutions that, that Amy wants either. You're not going to get the just move past it and everything will be fine. Um, but but there is there is some something you can a life you can carve out for yourself um, yeah. where, where maybe you can find happiness. Well, I, I mean, I think that there I think there definitely is. And I think the book isn't saying that there's not. It's just we have this protagonist in Victoria who actually started out the story with everything f- that was physically wrong with her. Uh overtly cured Mm -hmm. now her force field isn't the same and that bothers her a lot and she doesn't want anyone to know about it but ultimately that's not like life ruining um she's really disturbed about the fact that her body's made out of dogs and bugs and stuff Mm -hmm. which is highly disturbing and, and would be very upsetting but also doesn't really interfere with her life it's all in her head right and i'm sort of being jokingly like like dismissive of the idea that all Victoria's problems are in her head. Why can't she just snap out of it? Like I'm, I'm sure there's people who have started reading Ward and had that reaction and been like, well, oh, she, why yeah, can't she true. just snap out of it? Is what a whiner. And then they stop reading <laughs> Ward and then we don't have to ever hear from them again. 
because <laughs> I think honestly, most people's most of most people's suffering comes from inside their head, and that doesn't make it illegitimate. Yeah, it's complicated, and because Victoria's the protagonist, most of the actual struggle that we see in this story is with this kind of internal complicated um, internalization of trauma. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and and I think Victoria getting to a place where she's better, but not like that. I, I keep going back to that idea of the permanent solutions that she wants so mm-hmm. much, right? And 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 that she got one with Sveta, and I think we're getting hints that that's not quite as permanent of a solution as we thought. Um, in this conversation with Sveta, we literally get that where Sveta's like, you know, I'm not doing as great. Like I don't feel exactly the way I should. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think that's fascinating and important and what we're going to continue to explore. Yeah. Right. Um, so the text then primes us to know a bit more about Armstrong and to understand that the team has reached out to him and asked him to come and basically makes Armstrong out to be a, a great guy. And I have a terrible <laughs> feeling about this. Because I realized as far back as Eclipse, if not prior to that, we were being shown all these examples of what a great human being Armstrong is. Yeah, (laughs) I think this is a pretty fundamental question we need to ask ourselves about this story, right? Because I think we've been primed a little bit by some of the early parts of this book, but a lot by Worm, by this idea that, hey, all those guys that you think are the good guys... They're not actually the good guys. And if they are, the world punishes them for it. Uh Um, and, And we're kind of we're kind of set up to have that feeling. So then we see someone like Armstrong here and we're like, Oh, uh Oh, he's either going to be a monster actually, or he's just going to be brutally killed um, or worse. And, and I think this is actually really important because what happens to Armstrong in the next events of the story, I think are going to be pretty key to kind of exploring what Ward thinks about that general idea versus uh-huh. what, what Worm thought about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Is this a world where that trend continues or not? Because something terrible happening to Armstrong would make us feel bad for a minute, but the real negative impact would be that it would be crushing to all of our characters who sure, see him yeah. as a father figure. And I mean, which is a lot of them. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, think, think what it would do to Ashley. I mean, I, I mean, many of them, yes, but like Ashley is one where, He's really one of the few people in the world who she cares about at all. So mm-hmm. yeah. it would be devastating. Yeah. And and there, there is a moment here we have to talk about when they're talking about Armstrong, that they're also talking about like how hyper competent Shin is about understanding and studying powers related stuff. And how like Victoria says, like in another life, brother, uh, she would love to sit and work with these people. Right. And learn what they know. And there's like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, they like tried to kill us. And hurt us and manipulate us and use us to score political points. But they know cape things. And I want to know all the cape things. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 on point, on brand mm-hmm. for her. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a nice moment where Sveta shows a huge degree of maturity about Weld. Uh, acknowledging that they were both inexperienced in matters of the heart and that she still admires him. I thought this was a nice moment. Yeah, I... I don't mean to diminish this. I think this is a really nice moment and I Sveta's maturity here is great and it's badass. But I wonder how much getting a body was like made that mature realization come to fruition, you know? Like uh-huh. she's gotten the one thing she really wanted most and then with this new perspective of like I've gotten this thing 
look, look who I am now. She's able to look back on that relationship in a, in a little bit of a different lens than if she were still, sure. still, uh, the squid. Yeah. I mean, I think that there was a, a huge amount of hopelessness that she had, like the, the, he was kind of the one good thing she had going for her in her own mind, at least. And, and she lost that. And then she's like, well, I'm, I'm a squid. Um, nobody loves me. They specifically don't love me because I'm a squid and, um, everything sucks. And, yeah. and now, yeah, she's had this great thing happen to her and, uh, and it, it, it forces a kind of perspective, I think. Yeah. And also yeah. I think she was, she was never, she was never like, I, how to phrase this. She, she was never in the full like train wreck breakup mode that you would see from like some other character, you know, like, like she was like really me. upset. <laughs> yeah. Or me. Yes. Let's be honest, Scott. Um, <laughs> like, like she, she was, she was very sad about it. She felt a lot of loss. She even felt some betrayal, but it, it was, it was like contained, you know, she was still functional. She was still able to go on missions. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I, I'm not surprised actually to see that she has, come around to to like a, a very mature kind of position on things yeah and i mean acknowledging that even even the pain that you feel in a breakup is important yeah to to growing and, and learning and becoming a, a better more well-rounded person yeah so yeah that is a very it is, yeah like i said i don't want to take away any of that from her because that is absolutely earned and amazing and powerful and i and i really like it but yeah yeah. Just it just jumped out at me. That's like, well, yeah, I mean, you got exactly what you wanted. So that's it's good. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting to think about. You're right. Uh, there is this part where they're they're talking about dating one day and Sveta says she would absolutely date uh, would absolutely date one day in the future. Um, Victoria herself stays silent on that whole thing. Like there's no like, yeah, me too. Right. Um, Right. Which makes me sad again because remember at the start of this arc, there was there was a little, little was bit a glimmer. of hope. There's a little bit, a little, and, a little and, wink yeah. of of navel. <laughs> but Sveta says in this moment that she might want to date a case fifty three, and she's still kind of wrestling with what that means. And and I love that idea. Is like, am I just am I just projecting my desire to belong on the case fifty three? Is like I've wanted to belong to this group so far that my attraction to them is just me projecting, or is is it something else? And I love that, that like, that's such a realistic kind of central confusion. It's like, no, maybe that's just the type of people you're attracted to. And it doesn't have to be more than that. But in the back of your mind, they're like, well, maybe it is more than that. And I, I really like, I really like the, the detail of that, that to go into this idea. that's like, Hey, I think I just might like want to date case 53s. Like uh -huh. I wanted a body so bad. I, I didn't want to be one so bad. And now I'm quote unquote, not, um, but I like them. I, th I think that's that's wonderfully complicated. Absolutely, yeah. It's one of the, these examples of like the overt outward manifestation is cured, but all of her all of her twisted up feelings related to case fifty threes are exactly the same as they were. Um, yeah, and and she and yeah. she does say that almost literally because like she's so mad that she's just finally got a body and she's in a place where people see her as a monster anyway. Yeah, and Victoria's like, you know, you know, you're not really a monster, right? And she's like, I know. But I don't feel that yet. My feelings are taking a while to catch up with things. Yeah. And I like that because that's that's our first little bit of information about how Sveta is doing emotionally post-surgery, right? She's right. got her body. She seems very happy. And um, we see this wonderful, like, her working out and being so thrilled that she gets to, to work out. 
but and she's dealing with the world situation maturely and everything's good. But she is cracking just like everyone else. She has this. This was not a, a light switch. Your problems are solved type of situation. And we're starting to see that. Yeah, I, I think that's that's cool. That's realistic, right? Like it's realistic. Mm-hmm. Anytime someone does, you know, some physical intervention on their body, like I mean, I, in, in the in the very same chapter where Sveta got her cure, we had the woman who had who like did the compulsive self modification to her to her body by stealing other people's faces or whatever it was. I don't remember the detail, but mm-hmm. it was clearly supposed to be like you fixed your appearance and it doesn't actually change who you are on the inside. Yep. Um, but yeah, it seems like she's. It seems like she's recovering in a healthy way other than this injury, which is alarming. Yeah. So, yes, Victoria also tells Sveta, you know, M&S protocol is active, and then she plays it off as being a kind of in-joke between them. So now she's gone out of her way to make sure that everybody on the team is aware that she's compromised. Um, But nobody on the team really knows how. And I think it's interesting because the team doesn't really act on this information beyond, I guess, the fact that, Ashley kind of takes over calling the shots. Um, they, they still they still kind of in, involve her in all of their plans. They still bring her along on the little mission. Um, so um, I'm just, just, I guess, just registered with me that their their response to that wasn't really to. I mean, yeah, I guess I guess they're not listening to her orders anymore. But um, other than that, they're still they're still including her just as they usually would. Yeah, I mean. First of all, the the Mark and Aunt Sarah protocol is very serious, uh-huh. and I'm really upset that you said it was a joke because that's what it's called now. It's called Mark Mark and Aunt Mark Sarah. And Aunt Sarah, that's yeah, what it is. Yeah. But I, I get I do get what you mean here because yeah, I mean like Victoria basically says to them, "I could be compromised. I'm not sure. I, I could be. You guys got to deal with that." And they don't really. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I think you're right that Ashley takes control, but to me, Ashley's. Ashley's taking control of the situation is more related to um, who it is that's in danger and less related to Victoria said master stranger protocols um, I, I think because it's Armstrong. Yeah. She, and, and she obviously cares very, very deeply about Armstrong and he's in danger. And so she's going to do whatever she needs to do to make sure he's safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I guess the I guess the fact that when Ashley's like, look, we're going to go talk to those thugs and we're going to give them knives. And Victoria doesn't object. She's sort of intentionally letting herself take a backseat role. Yeah. I feel like normally Victoria would. Well, she does. I mean, she still brings Victoria to that, though. Yeah. And then later when the when they're like, OK, which one of us are going to go out once we create the distraction? Which one of us are going to go out the prison and go to Armstrong? And Victoria's like me. Right. And everyone's like, are you sure you're OK? For-? And she's like, yeah. And they just let her do it. Yeah. And yeah. It's like the master, the protocols. Yeah, the protocol. Don't listen Aunt to Sarah. her. She says she's sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I think it is. I wonder, like, I, I, like part of this is like, what are they going to do? Yeah. Right. Like, I think I think we have to say that part of that is like, OK, um, she's compromised. Now what? Right. Um, I think they're probably just all watching her a little more closely because it's not like we can just say, OK, Victoria, you have to like go sit in the corner now. Right. Um, that's not going to work out. Yeah, but, I, I think you're right. I think it's just that they're in a tight situation. What harm? Like, they just don't know what to do with her, right? So, yeah. so yeah, they're just gonna have to bring her along and keep an eye on her, like you said. Yep, makes sense. So the guards shove her back to the main prison section. Ashley finds her looking very tense, even by Ashley standards. And then once again, we get a little bit about Ashley's eyes, which has been a, a really re- recurring motif. It's been this chapter, but really the whole book kind of focusing on Ashley's eyes. 
and we get this thing where she didn't move her head, but she flicked her eyes up and over with the special projection cameras removed from her eyes and her power not having seen recent use. Her pupils were visible and even her irises had some gray in them. So <laughs> I I love this so much. So we got the, the idea that she hasn't used her power in a long time because her power like turns her eyes white, right? Yeah. Whenever she uses it. Right. So that's fading. It's going away. And what we're seeing here is some gray. So the the very black or white Ashley now literally has is, is speckled with bits of gray. And I just think that's like a, a, that's a perfect visual encapsulation of everything you've been talking about with her. Like the complicated nature of are you damsel? Are you swan song? Well, I'm both. I, I, I am something yeah. I am both of them and I am neither of them and I am something different. I am a combination of them. Yeah. And then we hear these, you see these, these gray speckled irises. Yeah. She's reached her full form. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's one more thing I wanted to point out before we join the rest of the conversation, because as Victoria is walking back, she witnesses, she hears two children screaming in the hallway and her immediate reaction to this is like, Oh God, kids are screaming. And then they start laughing and it's like, okay, they're just joking around. But then one of this kids runs up to one of the prisoners that is responsible for the attack on them yesterday. And he, he runs, this little kid runs up to this guy and smashes his face into his stomach, wraps his arms around its pelvis. Uh, the kid peered through a, a mop of, messy black hair to look up at him then over at me no older than eight and she wore the same veteran clothing as the guy i was assuming was her dad and victoria's response is just this fucking world and, and like I, I i'm really fascinated by shin and i'm really fa i like that in this moment like we see the complicated nature of this whole thing like this guy attacked breakthrough like he and and hurt them severely and now he's got he's 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 a fam like he has a family and his kid is also in the prison, but like there's a lot of like really complex, weird stuff going on in this world. And I like that the book takes the time to like, like what would have been lost from the main plot had this part not been written in it. Right. Yeah. But instead we get we get nuance introduced to these people. Yeah. Right. Like th this is their lives. You know, this is their the, the whole idea of these like prison families is, is fascinating. Yeah. Um, and, and really, we don't learn that much about them it's just it's just enough for us to understand that it's fucked up and very different from anything that we really have yeah especially as we move into a, a situation where um we're just going to hand some of these people weapons right. and just say hey distract some right. them." <laughs> yeah i'm sure this will be fine uh -huh. so yeah ashley tells victoria that the bad guys are going to go after armstrong and they're going to make it look like one of the team murdered him somewhat <laughs> darkly amusingly they can't quite figure out breakthroughs powers well enough to plot anything easily. Um, and then there are also complicated politics behind the scenes. And we know all this because Kenzie is tapping into everything to get a sense of what's going on. Yeah. And that kind of makes me nervous, right? Cause like, what if like, there's part of me that wonders is like, what if this whole thing is just a setup? Because if you, if you figure out that Kenzie's tapped into your feeds and is listening in on you, couldn't you manipulate that to force them to do something, to force them to react? Um, yeah, but she's a she's a surveillance counter surveillance sneaker. <laughs> sure, okay, but don't, isn't that like common knowledge too? So you, couldn't you couldn't you just like assume? <laughs> couldn't you just like, hey, there's there's a surveillance tinker. Maybe she's listening in on the things we're saying. Maybe we could use that Maybe. to our own benefit. Yeah, but I I don't know. I kind of want to talk about this plan for a while, and and. It, 
one of the things that I've been enjoying doing during this whole arc is kind of drawing parallels between what's going on with the people of Shin and their plans and the Amy Victoria conflict. And I think I think there's a parallel here because like Shin, Amy saw Breakthrough's journey to the planet or the, the dimension as an opportunity. Um, Amy saw Amy saw it as a chance to finally get Victoria in a room with her and have that talk she's been wanting to have that talk we're going to have the talk it's going to fix everything that's that's her opportunity Shin at least some of the more powerful political factions of Shin saw this as an opportunity to prove some of their worst opinions about capes were right if they if we could imprison the capes that helped take down goddess uh, which are probably the ones that like are the the best examples right like these are the ones that defeated the terrible dictator goddess so they're like the best examples of capedom we'll imprison them put them in an arrangement where they're going to react violent and terribly and in the ways we know which they are that proves that we are right it proves that capes are terrible even the best one Um, that's what we're going to do and that's what they're trying to do Neither plan goes as either of them wanted, right? Like Amy's 15 minute conversation did not convince Victoria to be buddies again. In fact, she leaves the conversation saying one of us should just be dead. Um, the capes managed to not take Shin's bait and not and and, and and did not like use their powers to fuck some people up in, in a terrible PR disaster. So neither plan goes the way either of these factions want. Shin's response to their failure is for the more extremist faction to say like, shit, we got to do something now. And they go, they go crazier with it, right? They're like, okay, we're going to murder someone and we're going to frame these people for that murder. And that's going to solve our problem. Then everyone will see. And in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, I've just drawn all these parallels. So I'm like, fuck, what's Amy's reaction going to be to her failure? If, if we see a parallel between both of these attempts, Shin fails and turns up the heat crazily to do like a crazy convoluted, like murder frame job. What's Amy going to do? Yeah, I like that connection in a, in a terrified <laughs> way. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't really have any idea what Amy's state of mind is. I mean, I kind of like like directionally, but uh, yeah, it, that that's something to worry about for sure. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of little bits and pieces of that conversation and the way that conversation has ended that has me pretty concerned for what her reaction is going to be here. Like, yeah. like just to, to just casually be like, it probably would have been better if one of us never made it out alive. Um, I don't think Amy's noble enough to be like, well, in that case, I will be the one that shall take the blow for this relationship. No, um, no. So. Yeah. I mean, she's all, all the way back very early in the story. We knew that Amy's main problem is that she's nursing this anger. Yeah. And we don't get to see the anger very often, but I think we finally started to get to see this anger toward the end of of this of the this last chapter and yeah. I think that's always been there. And what is one of the most powerful capes in the world with uh half a planet under her control do with that anger? Yeah, right. Yep. So the other part of this is like they're talking about who they're how they're going to frame them and they're going through each of their powers and as you said like they don't really understand their powers they're like all right sveto that would have been good but i don't know what's going on there now one of them's like we could frame byron but we're not quite sure if he's in the prison or not (laughs) which is really great um and then they get to the final two which are kenzie and victoria and kenzie is like you can't like you can't really frame her with her power for violence right but Victoria is easy, right? Like this, the, the idea of smashing 
Yeah. And I love her reaction to this because it's it's heartbreaking. Breaking. She says she like she has a hollow voice when she says it and she doesn't think it. We don't see it here. But you got to know she's thinking of Carol in that moment. Uh-huh. Right. It's like like they're looking they're looking exactly the reason why they're like this is like, oh, look at what she did to Carol. That'd be perfect. We could easily fake just smashing someone and then say, yeah, that was that was that crazy Cape Victoria doing it again. Yeah. Trying to connect it to the PR disaster where. Like the same thing that Nieves was doing where he, he brings up what she did to Carol, but without any context that that explains it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Carol, there is this moment in this chapter where Victoria shifts back to planning and strategizing, right? Where like they're drawing the map and they're planning their thing. And, and she's like, she's in her element again. She's comfortable. She's like, okay, yeah, this reminds me of when I was in new wave. Um, it reminds me of working with my parents. And then she's like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those guys. Right. When she's like, which reminded me that my mom had signaled a need for help. I interpreted it to mean that she needed a way out of Shin. Um, I think that's important because Wildo is kind of reminding us that, hey, her parents are still here. They're still with Amy. And any escape from this planet, I keep saying planet, any escape from this this yeah. dimension uh, should probably include a way to get them out of there, too. Yeah, I mean, it, it causes one to imagine a kind of scenario where it's like, all right, all right, breakthrough, time for you to leave. And then, yeah, and they're, and it's like, well, I, I need to take my parents. And then they're like, oh, do you? Why? Yeah. Why do you right. need to? Yeah. You know, so I also like part of me when I read, especially when I read it again, really like twitched over the, I interpret it to mean that she needed a way out of, off of Shin, which like, I don't even know if this was intentional, but introduces doubt in the fact that uh, Victoria's interpretation of what her mom was trying to convey to her is not a hundred percent confirmed to be accurate. Right. Like this thing popped in my, in my head and I was like, Oh, Carol was just like, no, Amy just had a cold. I just needed you to help get some medicine. What are you talking about? She's fine. She's great. Yeah. It's like, no, Carol, no. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be that specifically, but that did pop into my head. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think Welbo normally throws that specific kind of twist at us, but no, yeah. not like a, not like a specific wordplay type yeah. of. Yeah, I don't think yeah. so. I think, I think, I think Carol has seen the light. It, it really does make me wonder about that moment where they're walking to the prison and Mark is still defending Amy a little bit. Yeah. Like, are we, we, I think we, we called it out then we were like, man, Carol seems to have understood what's going on here, but Mark still hasn't, hasn't caught on. And I find that really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I was almost wondering in that scene, if Mark wasn't just playing ball, you know, like, yeah, cause, cause, yeah, cause Carol's, be. Carol's also not overtly calling out how bad off Amy is, um, in front of Amy. Sure. But it's not like it's not like someone like asked him what he thinks of Amy. Like, yeah, that's true. Another way to play ball there is to just not say anything. You're right. Yeah, I I think you're probably right. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I wonder. Yeah, Yeah. I I think we'll see more of this. I expect we'll find out. Yeah. 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 Uh, So Ashley is obviously being pushed to extremis by the threat to Armstrong. And she's the one who spearheads this plan to orchestrate some good old fashioned prison shanking. Yeah, and I love how quickly this has ramped up, uh-huh. right? Because, like, they bring out the knife and Victoria is like, uh, wait, <laughs> that's really extreme. And then she goes to Vista and Golem and is like, hey, help me out here. Like, this is like, that's too extreme, right? And they're like, nah, we really like Armstrong, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think this is like every every one of these characters has a pretty, pretty strong emotional connection to Armstrong. I like it, especially for Amy, who 
like we we had earlier in the chapter say that she was the one that suggested that he come for Sveta. And then it's implied as like maybe like it was also for herself a little, but she would never admit that. Right. And so not only is she concerned for him, but she was the one that suggested. So there's some guilt there. Like I am the one that put him in danger. I'm the one that suggests he come and now he's in danger. So I I have responsibility for this. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- that that hit me in the feels actually this. Yeah. This very distressed uh, damsel. Yeah. Um, I have to pull this out. It's the most the the most comic relief and also kind of poignant moment. Rain, you come, Ashley said. Her expression was a dark glower. She looked over our group. Victoria. Why us specifically? I asked. Because you two look the meanest next to me. Wow, I said. I know I haven't washed my hair with actual conditioner or shampoo, but um, it's just great. It's just great because like she's she's horribly. She's in horrible shape right now, horribly like like reeling and and shaking and whatever else, and still still has the <laughs> consciousness of her appearance to be like, oh my yeah. god, really? I know my hair doesn't have enough volume right now, but jeez, <laughs> Rain gets picked in this too, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think Rain, Rain is uh, Rain is more mean than Tristan. It's th- surprising. I think. I think. Well, my my mental impression of Tristan is that he's he just looks more more like a Boy Scout, even though he might be like bigger. Like that's yeah. what's interesting is like Theo and and Rain, uh, uh, sorry, Theo and and Tristan are both bigger, I think. But Rain kind of strikes me as like a scrappy guy with like a, a kind of unkept hair and and little random nicks and stuff to the to the cartilage of the ears and whatever that might be. I don't know. I, I, I no, see, I, th- I I like I see what you mean. I like that. Yeah, I, I'm fully on team. Team badass rain. <laughs> so yeah, breakthroughs, roughest looking droogies negotiate with some pillars of the local community in a delightful exchange. Uh, they give them the Capricorn made knives, which can easily be disposed of by Capricorn. Breakthrough then promises them some visas to come to Gimmel, which they are absolutely not in any position to offer at all. Right? <laughs> I, 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 this whole thing is kind of nuts. Uh-huh. And they're like, uh, we want 10. It's like, ah, oh, we probably can't get you 10. We can get you five though. It's yeah. like, can you? <laughs> right. I mean, I mean what uh, they could probably talk to Citrine and be like, look, Citrine, we had to make a deal to get out of there. We, we yeah. would like to be able to get five people out. And then Citrine would probably say yes, unless there's like all out war that's about to happen. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, promise making promises that they can't uh, cash out. Yeah, but but I mean, this whole like this whole thing is like, OK, we're going to give you all these knives. <laughs> don't kill anyone. And if you do hurt people, only do it to the people who deserve it. Victoria is um is like rightly concerned with this entire plan, I think. Uh-huh. like, And she's making the same kind of argument she did uh, with when she was dealing with the number boys in the cradle fight. She was like, only do no permanent injuries, nothing that can't be healed um, and nothing like please only do it to the bad people and um yeah <laughs> it's just like it's just very concerning and and victoria is not cool with this and there's this moment here where like i think she really doesn't want to go through with it and like rain like taps her on the shoulder and points over towards the rest of the group is standing there and they're like super animated and agitated and that's like oh armstrong is here now we have to make this decision now and she's resigned to don't hurt them too much. She's just like, all right, yeah. just don't hurt them too much. And, and it's like, there's so many ways this could go wrong. Yeah. They're like, they don't really know these people at all that right. they're entrusting with these weapons. 
And, you know, that's one of the, the downsides of declaring Master Stranger on yourself is that you can't actually now make a moral stand like and, and, <laughs> and go against everyone else because because they they will somewhat rightly be like, are you just trying to stall? You know, yeah. so that's the catch 22 there. Yeah, it's like the, the thing about this that I wonder is like we've been talking about this idea specifically last week about the idea of trusting your instincts, right? Uh, yeah. That, that at the very beginning of the arc, we had Annalise lay out this, this idea that like Victoria, I want you to trust your instincts more because uh, it can make help you react faster. It can help you be a better fighter. It can help you in situations. And we saw a couple of situations last week in which she did not trust her instincts. She hesitated just a little bit and it was enough to hurt here. And I feel like, and maybe I'm projecting, but I feel like her instincts here are telling her this is not a good idea. Um, and she's going against that because, the rest of her team is like really agitated because there's a guy in danger. Um, I, I just, I, I, th- I feel like, I feel like we're supposed to be concerned about this whole thing. Yeah. It seems like the kind of situation where she's going to have regrets about it in retrospect, you know? Yeah. So which, I mean, it could go horribly. It could go literally exactly as planned with only bad people being stabbed in the butt. And she'd still <laughs> feel bad about it. Cause she'd be sure. like, that was just a, that was just too much. That was not a very heroic yeah. way to execute that um so as the chapter wraps up victoria sticks one of kinsey's eye needles into her eyeball she gets a cool heads-up display this is fun it's gonna be a fun story thing mm-hmm. uh, then she immediately recognizes the map hacked silhouette of natalie armstrong cryptid crock of shit and cole belcher yeah, and the chapter wraps up with the riot starting and them doing this cool thing where they get out of the prison i love did you like that moment where we're like Rain is such a badass now. Yeah. Rain just like casually like cuts us like uses his power on a slit in the wall. And then Vista is just like make it big enough for yep. everyone to fit through. And they just like they just hop out so casually. Yeah. Um, I, I also love the like cryptid broke into a run um, as just yeah. a very kind of because clearly she's only seeing his silhouette. But it's a very like uh, ominous and, and it's like uh, now we're now we're getting into the shit. You know, it's it's right. Uh, for the for the first time in many many weeks it seems like we're going to have a cape battle yeah um and it's going to be a cape battle fraught with emotions because it's it's chris yeah yeah awesome well that was our two chapters Mm -hmm. let's move on into some community spotlight so the previous discussion question was discuss an interesting example of playing with format or playing with the conventions of medium how and then discuss how it was executed and what the effect was from any piece of media that was our mistake scott that was our mistake you. was soliciting <laughs> examples from any piece of media because you, you people out there, <laughs> you all, you all had something. Apparently, well, there are a lot exam- of examples in which uh, a story plays with the format or conventions of the medium because we got a billion answers. A billion. And in an exp- inexplicable move, Matt decided that he's we're going to do all of your answers. All every of, single one. Every of single. Them. I didn't even count them this week. It looks like there's over it looks like there's about 30 just scanning them with my eyes. So we're going to be going over them very quickly without really discussing them. I'm sorry to say. Uh, Yes. Yes. But let's get into it. Roundest Frog mentions two instances from the webcomic Homestuck. One occurs when a character is uh, acquires the ability to change canon, which takes the form of actually turning the pages of the comic back and making new pages starting from there. Another instance occurs in the epilogue where two entities struggle for control of the narrative through text. 
And uh, then SNES follows up Round as Frog's comment with another Homestuck example where the style of the hyperlinks to the next episode changes dramatically for plot reasons. Um, I think out of anything we've been requested or, or asked to do something on in the future, Homestuck is the one we get the most. Yeah. Um, except it's this massive, huge multimedia thing that I don't know if we're ever going to be actually able to do something on ever. Yeah. Yeah. I might dip my toe into it and see if it's something that's going to grab me, but I, I just, it's, it seems like an incredibly huge time investment. It certainly does have its fans. Um, and I think these are two very intriguing answers. Yeah. Well, I I like them a lot. (laughs) Well, Stelhex also mentioned some stuff from Homestuck, uh, where one (laughs) of the characters interacts with and threatens the narrator by whacking the frame with, a crowbar and causing the hyperlinks and the formatting on the page to like jolt out of kilter. Um, I actually loaded that page. It's, it's pretty cool how, how it looks. That's cool. Um, oh God, I'm going to butcher this name. I apologize to Alex and then Kofsky in and Alex and Alex and Alex and Alex Yeah. Alex Oh God. Why do I keep repeating it? It's okay. Uh, anyway, this commenter describes how house of leaves is a perfect example of playing with the format of a medium. It tells three simultaneous stories at different levels of nested storytelling that each describe an individual who is losing their mind in some way. There are weird formatting choices meant to draw the reader into a paranoid frame of mind of the characters. And there's a whole storyline told in the footnotes as well as whole pages missing and positioning the text strangely on the page yes uh when matt asked this question house of leaves was the first example that jumped into my head it is an amazing book i love it so much i love what it does i love the stories within the stories and everything it does with that so great answer uh house of leaves you guys should read it yeah i'd love to read that except it probably doesn't work the same way via audiobook it i i there's no way there can be an audiobook like i can't understand <laughs> how that would now I'm curious to see. If I'm there is. really curious to see if there's an yeah. audiobook. Finn Rauer mentions that there's probably another fourth layer to House of Leaves that can be uncovered by scrutinizing the appendices. Yeah, and I agree with that, oh. Finn Rauer. Yeah, oh. it's, it's very interesting. Calinero brings up Buffy. Hey. <laughs> specifically the episode superstar where the intro credit sequence is completely different and fixes and fixates on a background character instead of the main cast. And the show's name is replaced with the character's name. Calinero gives another example in the end of season four of West wing where the screed fades to white instead of black. Yeah. I, the, uh, the superstar example, that's one of my favorite episodes of Buffy. It's so funny. It has the character, Jonathan, who's just been a very bit role character. Um, and he, uh, he casts a spell to become a superstar, which in, the language of the show means it is his show now and it's it's wonderful <laughs> so is it jonathan the vampire slayer yeah okay yeah, that's great blue harbinger talks about the metal gear solid video games in in these games psycho mantis boasts that he can read your mind and then proves it by looking through the save data on your memory card to see what other games you play um i personally recall that you had to switch controllers to beat him otherwise he yep. can predict your moves uh, mm-hmm. Also in Snake Eater, a, a later game in the franchise, an elderly character will actually die of old age if the game system clock uh, progressive, cr- progresses far enough. Yeah, I remember the first time I played Metal Gear Solid 
how cool it was that Psycho Mantis was like breaking the fourth wall and talking to me about my Final Fantasy seven save or something like that. Yeah. Like just some like he just goes into your memory card. He also lists how many times you've died and how many times you've saved. Yeah. And like so if you're going through on like one playthrough, he's like, oh, I see you have not saved. You are very reckless. Uh-huh. You have not saved your progress at all. It's it's really fun. Video games, I think, out of any medium do this the most. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a ton of video game examples here, actually. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, I really love these answers because some of these things I was familiar with, a lot of them I was not. And, and this is a great way to make me curious personally. I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, if I were you guys, and and I will be tomorrow when I'm listening to this, um, <laughs> I would write down every one of these examples because I think they're probably really interesting things to watch, read, or play. Yeah. Disarwat also brings up Buffy describing a musical episode. The characters themselves are aware that they're in a musical, and there's a narrative fallout from them having to obey musical tropes. Disarwat also mentions a, uh, sorry, the the, a series of unfortunate events uh, books as doing things like putting actual red herrings into the story as a kind of wink to the astute reader, covering entire pages with black when characters are in the dark, and repeating lines over and over when the characters are so tired uh, that they themselves are reading the same line over and over. That's really cool. I agree with uh, Tessarawat on the Buffy episode. It is a very meta musical. Um, I've not read the series of unfortunate events books. I did watch the Netflix show though, and I thought they were pretty good. They got they didn't they didn't finish very strong in oh, my yeah. opinion. But I didn't I didn't know they had this meta quality to them. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, Peta Enigma mentions a worm fanfic called It Takes Time, which involves time travel. And now the story is unreadable because the character changed the actual text of the story every time they went back in time. That's a really fun idea. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't, it's sad that you can't read it now, but <laughs> I'm curious to understand what because because they, they said unreadable, quote unquote. I'm like, well, you mean if I read it, I would find it confusing or what exactly? Or, or you literally cannot read it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious. Zero one ZG mentions Undertale, um, but their spoiler text link didn't work for me, so I couldn't read what they were talking about. And now I'm wondering if them doing the spoiler text that way wasn't just an extremely meta way of fucking with me. <laughs> it might have been. Um, yeah, Undertale is a really good example. Yeah. Um, we had a whole podcast about that. You should go listen to it. Yeah, yeah. There's tons of examples in that game. Totally, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. Uh, Exa. JPEG Windows Media Viewer describes an audiobook in which an EMP is detonated and it scrambles the audio momentarily. That's fun. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Hero of Old Iron focuses on Ra by Quantum or QNTM, a web serial which involves a kind of magical dream world where the, the uh, text is right justified when they're in the dream world. I remember that. Uh, story because Daniel did a review of it for us. And yeah. That's all I know about it. I've I've read it. It's it's very interesting. I, I what's funny is I don't even remember <laughs> the text being right justified, but uh, apparently that happened. So <laughs> clearly worked so well on you, yeah, Matt. Yeah, right. That was probably in the time Matt used to do a thing where he would listen to books he read by just like having his uh, iPhone read the text out loud. Okay, I wasn't in, going in, to admit that that was why, but that's totally why. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I know you so well. You do. You do. Uh, bisexual Punch Party mentions Terry Pratchett's Reaper Man, wherein death sharpens his scythe to the point that it begins slicing through chapters of the book. Cool. Cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bregalad 
Um, HS describes Gintama, an anime full of meta humor, with, for example, an episode where the regular opening is drawn in paint uh, or a few minutes of an episode drawn in only keyframes. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Chariago mentions the twist at the end of Bioshock and how the medium itself reinforces this. The character of Jack was the classic mute video game protagonist archetype, a mindless blank slate who exists only to facilitate the story and for the player to control and project themselves into. Much like how Jack could never refuse an order preceded by his trigger phase, the player never had any real agency in the game. All one could do was obey and continue on with the narrative or choose to turn the game off. Yeah, I've never played that game, but I've, I still feel like that's an impactful kind of like fun uh, and shocking thing to do with a, a game format. It is. And it's a very good game. Cool. You should play it. Okay. Antichrist discusses the wandering in where several times there are odd blocks of blank space where a character talks to a magical being where the text is in fact the same color as the background and can be uncovered by selecting it. And it's, it's usually some kind of like mind manipulation thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Feridian says playing with the format is something poetry does all the time. The fo- fo- focus, they focus on a poem, Anactoria, written in 304 unbroken lines of what sounds like a combination of beautiful and horrific images, wherein the mega, wherein the massive mega stanza conveys the overbearing intensity of what's being portrayed. Yeah, and they, they actually said that it reminds them of the Amy Victoria situation a lot which is interesting because the name of the poem is anactoria um which makes me want to go check it out and see if there's any meat there that's cool yeah. i like that i i've been long saying i need to spend more time on poetry yeah yeah and i don't uh mino or mino mentioned several things one of which is a very long single panel page of the order of the stick where a character uh, is knocked through the border of the frame and then falls a tremendous distance uh, Minnow and also uh, Wanson uh, in a separate post mentioned Unsounded, which as we discussed on our Unsounded podca- podcast of the Doofcast, is all kinds of fun and plays with, you know, stuff being outside of the frame, um, it kind of in, in the space between frames, leaking between, like leaking into the frame in some cases, representing this kind of spirit world. Yeah, man, this is the we did a show on that uh, <laughs> answer because both Order of the Stick and Unsounded, we've done shows on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dashelger mentions the Stanley parable and says that it does a good job conveying the conundrum game developers have in managing player choice while providing narrative. Yeah, that's a very meta in that regard. It's literally testing if you're going to do what it should. Cool. Since mentions the end of Life is Strange, it says the whole game is built around a rewinding time mechanic that allows you to redo every choice, um, which is kind of playing with the normal conceit of saving games. Um, until it doesn't give you that choice anymore. And then that throws you for a loop. Yeah. Cool. Never played that game. one either. Cool. It's the only game my wife has beaten in her entire life. She <laughs> life said she is liked it, right? She did. Yeah. She posted about how she's a gamer now because she beat one game. <laughs> awesome. Uh, it it was adorable. I loved it. Death of the Artist mentions the movie Battleship Potemkin, a 1925 silent Soviet propaganda film. The film contains what is apparently the first montage, literally the first instance of cutting together small parts of a scene to suggest a larger whole. The scene was incredibly impactful at the time and is still impactful even to modern audiences. So yeah, montage back in 1925 was was a, a structural element change. That's a great point. Right. I mean, it, it's funny because we don't even think of that as a montage. Like they're literally just describing cutting together different sh- different shots that are meant to imply there's more going on right in in a, in a larger setting yeah which yeah. that's that's just 
how you construct a scene. But yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's fun. Death of the Artist also talked about how everyone needs to see that movie. Um, and I feel embarrassed to say that I haven't. I have seen the scene he's referring to because it's so famous. I, I saw it, but I haven't seen the entire movie. And I feel like I do need to see that movie. I have not seen any of it, but I agree. I, I want to see it. Isaac G1 talks about a stack overflow answer that explains why you can't parse HTML with regex. Um, and then and the author introduces increasingly terrible consequences of manipulating HTML into the answer itself. I actually suggest looking at this because it's actually quite funny um, and short. I don't, I don't understand anything you just said. It's, you just, just, just click on it. Click on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Manukos talks about Scott Pilgrim versus the world in places where the shot reverse shot changes midline and also baby driver using music to the fullest by having background noises interact with the score and characters actually moving to the beat. Those are uh, great examples. Edgar Wright really loves playing with format. Totally. Uh, He's really good at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the most minor things actually can, can be viewed this way. Yeah. Mr. Everything 88 describes a couple of examples from comic books. One of which uh, is a Scott Snyder did I type that right? Is that right? Scott Snyder. Anyway, Batman comic where the pages eventually turn upside down as Batman enters a labyrinth and also a Grant Morrison comic, which involves time traveling back to the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. I've not read that comic, but I, I, I suspect comics do this a lot as well. Yeah, I know nothing about uh, this, but yeah, sounds cool. Flower Priest talks about how in A Song of Ice and Fire, all the chapters are titled very simply with character names until books four and five, when characters are put through intense crises that challenge their identity, and thus chapter names begin to shift chapter by chapter. Yeah, I think that's great and not spoilery, so we don't even have to say which characters those are. Yeah. But I know which ones Flower Priest is talking about, and I agree. That is a really cool structural way to symbol how different the character is, how they are not that person anymore. They have been broken down and are someone else cool yeah and it's cool that that is kind of the theme of, of those books because it happens with a bunch of characters yep um R- earl raider or rear raider i don't i'm sorry i i may have messed this up in, in transcribing it talks about the flash forward at the end of the third season of lost which we at first misinterpret as a flashback hey look it's lost yeah i forgot we, that happened at all but yeah did you really i've i've blanked how can you hate this show that you don't remember at all i just hate because i only remember the parts that i hate well that seems unhealthy (laughs) yeah yeah march was may talks about the princess bride the book not the movie and how it's the most meta thing ever the author inserts himself into the story as doing a translation of the book written by a pretend author and having all kinds of bizarre interactions and communications with other people in the course of doing his translation yeah that's like i love the princess bride movie and i read the book not knowing like what to expect at all and it is like similar in a lot of ways but it is such a different thing it's crazy i I really love it yeah, I listened to a whole podcast about this. Um, I, I haven't read it, but it's, it sounds very fun. Um, is it what you think it'd be age? Like what what age kids do you think would actually appreciate it? I'm just wondering. You know, I can't remember. Okay. I don't look at th- I don't look at things with that lens. Yeah, I'll look into not ha- it. Not having any of those kids. It just um, sounds like a fun, um, a fun thing to, to share with I, kids. I don't think it's too bad. OK, um, but I don't know if that's like my memory of the movie, like where they're reading to Fred Savage is influencing my opinion of how yeah. adult the themes are or not. I don't, I, so I don't, don't, don't take my answer as reliable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could, I could, I could interrupt frequently to tell them that the characters don't die at this point. 
<laughs> um, anyway, uh, Lapis Dust mentions an example that doesn't actually exist, but they would love to see somebody do a conversation which uses homophones in a way that, uh, in such a way that a conversation can be interpreted uh, two or more completely different ways. That's fun. Uh, challenge to the writers out there. Yeah, do that. Do that. Do that and 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 put it somewhere and, and send us to it. I'd love to read that. Yeah. I think that would be really fascinating. That would be a very tough challenge. Yeah. Uh, Placid Platypus mentions Harry Potter and the Natural 20, in which the book ends very suddenly and unexpectedly, violating not just a convention of narrative, but also a convention of Harry Potter fanfics, which are supposed to cover entire years of school. Yeah, I haven't read that one, but that, that sounds very clever. Mm-hmm. Data Snake 69 mentions a time skip in Worm. The time <gasps> skip is a format trick in that it's surprising and weird that we've skipped so, uh, su- such a big portion of Taylor's career until we see from how she interacts with the Chicago Wards that she hasn't really changed. It's all been a blur for her, too. Yeah, I was kind of like, I really liked the time skip in that book. And I was very surprised to learn after I said that, that that's an unpopular opinion. (laughs) Um, I had no idea. Uh And uh, I still like it. And I like it for the exact reason that Data Snake does here, that it's it's a device that 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 represents something about our character. Um, Yeah. And maybe maybe like the details of how it happened could be tightened. Maybe. I don't know. But I I liked it. I think I think most people uh, just just it violates their expectations and people tend to react negatively to that in general. So that's true. That's true. Um, Tiny alchemist says new moon from twilight. There are several pages with nothing but the names of the passing months on each page conveying a long bout of depression. You can feel the expanse of wasted time fleeting by interesting. Uh, my wife maybe watched that movie and I did not like it. (laughs) I also listened to a Lindsay Ellis video apologizing to how mean she was to Stephanie Meyer. So, um, People really like those books. Strong feelings on both sides. Exactly. Uh, Beard of Valor says Avenue Avenue Q subverts expectations by using puppets to talk about serious topics. They also mention an episode of Dexter involving a murder breakfast shot for shot remake. You seem confused. I didn't know what to make of. So I I was basically summarizing people's posts here. Uh And that sentence was my attempt to summarize something which I did not actually understand. So sorry, everyone. If I remember the comment correctly um they you know how dexter you, have you seen dexter? i've seen like four episodes of dexter or something okay well dexter opens with um the main character preparing the opening credits of dexter are the main character preparing a meal and the meal um is, is the preparing and the eating of the meal is meant to resemble uh violently murdering and killing people okay um and i think there is an episode later in the series where our main character is like not doing well and the opening shifts to where the food is kind of not as good looking. It's not as juicy. It's kind of rotten and terrible looking. Um, and it's, I, I believe that's what it is. Okay. I, I, that makes sense. That yeah. that makes a lot of sense. I, I, yeah. Okay, cool. And Avenue Q is a very funny musical that I saw off Broadway and it was very good. Oh, awesome. Cool. Uh, cow Subaloo talks about Gakau Garashi. Sure. <laughs> How'd I do on that? <laughs> fine whatever (laughs) an anime that makes short but blatant changes to its opening sequence to emphasize what has happened in past episodes and prime you on what to expect in the current one does it spoil the current one because matt and i have had conversations about how spoilery anime introductions are i don't know they made it sound like it was pretty clever actually in fact in fact this is kind of a truncated version of their answer because they they laid out like multiple different clever things that the intro sequence does and i was like i don't think i understand this well enough to summarize it so i'm just gonna say something about it. So 
Sorry, guys. <laughs> that was the best I could do summarizing your 734 different answers. I'm, I'm actually really tickled that we got so many answers. Um, but Is that why you decided to do them all? Because normally I'm like, I, I cut it off. I'm like, these are the top voted ones. We'll get you everyone else next week. And Matt's like, no, I'm going to do them all. I guess there's not normally this many answers. So I guess I guess we each have a different line <laughs> that we that we cut off on the on well, the this on the too many answers. Okay, but to be honest, yeah. one, one aspect was that I knew that we were just going to go through these pretty quickly because when they're all parahumans related, I feel like we go back and forth and have a little discussion after each answer. Whereas with these, it was kind of just pretty quick for each one. So yeah, especially the stuff we haven't seen. Right, um, right. And we appreciate you guys doing your absolute best to avoid spoilers in those posts. Um, you know, it's, I know it's tough to do sometimes and in, in places where you couldn't, you didn't, but in places where you could, we, we appreciate that. And yep. I'm sure everyone reading the thread appreciates that as well. Yeah. Great answers, everyone. Thanks for participating. Thank you so much. So the question for this week, as discussed in this episode, Wild Bill uses Dot as a perfect third party to convey some information about both Amy and Victoria's perspective uh, alone could not convey. Sorry, <laughs> about I'm, both. That's uh, just, that shouldn't be there. Okay. <laughs> convey some information about Amy that Victoria's perspective alone could not convey. Select your favorite instance in Parahumans in which differing perspectives have, re- have revealed important character information. Discuss the ways in which Wildbo achieved his goal with these characters. With uh, yeah, with those thir- those third yeah, third the, characters with the third the- with the third with the the new perspective on the on the dynamic character. Yeah, I, I can already think of some examples off the top of my head, so I, I look forward to uh, I look forward to the answers to this one. This looks yeah. fun. Yeah, me too. And uh, everyone, please read the discussion question as written before you attempt to answer it, because obviously I butchered that in my writing. That, well, yeah, um, that was that was that was it's fine. We'll we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do we'll do it live. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can always reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at murderbreakfast. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else podcasts can be found. And of course, you can find all our shows on the Doof Media Podcasting Network at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you will find the Doofcast, which has about 12 episodes that were answered in the discussion question this week. It's also where you'll find Deep and Packed, the show going over Packed, chapter by chapter, and Vow to View, the show where I try to make my wife watch movies, and she interrupts me a lot. Yeah, and if you haven't started Packed yet, or listening, or you're not listening to Deep and Packed, you're missing out. Don't know what else yeah. to say. Yeah, I I feel attacked because I'm so far behind. Well, you'll catch up. Um, And if you like these shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art and costume contests, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent and lively Discord chat. Special thanks to new Bidoofs, Matthew M., at the $2 level and Aaron Kaitar at the $1 level. Thanks so much for your support, folks. We really appreciate that. Yeah, guys, you're the best. All you guys, we love y'all. Thank you. And as always, while you're over there on patreon.com, make sure you go to uh, subdomain slash wildbow and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. (laughs) Sorry, I just thought 
on this week's vow of you, my wife goes, um, I'm like, well, Elise, how much can they donate? And Elise goes, however much they want. You just got to look at your expenses and decide um, what's worth it and what's not. It's like, do you have a dog? Maybe don't feed it this month. <laughs> uh, oh my god, it was hilarious. Anyway, the the point is here: if you cannot afford to 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 donate, there are tons of other ways to help us out. You can share this podcast. You can head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher to leave us a rating and a review. This week's review comes from Synths, who gives us five stars and says, "Amazing podcast that reacts and analyzes the Worm and Ward." The Worm and Ward by the author Wildbow. For Worm, each episode reacts and analyzes one arc or half arc per episode. For Ward, the last two or three chapters are, are the subjects of the podcast as they are released. Matt and Scott are two wonderful hosts who, through their analysis, will undoubtedly enhance your reading experience as you go through the world of parahumans. They are on point 99% of the time, and the 1% they are not is often quite hilarious, like mistaking a fire axe for an axe on fire. Harmless, but fun. It was an honest mistake. I'll never live it down. Uh, in all seriousness, while this podcast is quite a time investment, <laughs> sorry, it is worth listening to either as you read or after the fact. You might have missed details that Matt and Scott, through their multiple reads of every chapter, will happily point out to you. Ah, uh, the fire axe, a mistake that has nothing to do with me. Well, that's it for this week's show. <laughs> Next week on the show, breaking continues. But who's going to break this time? Everyone, probably. Chris's face. Hopefully not Armstrong. Oh yeah, fuck, I forgot about that. <laughs> Shit. Oh god. <laughs>